0: You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and this is Volume 2, This is The Voice, track 4, with Cole Vosper. You're listening to After the Encore, I'm your host Joe Shaw, and I am here with the one and only, the luscious Louisianan, Mr. Cole Vosbury. Cole, how are you doing today?
1: Good, Joe, thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) I say luscious because I think of that beard, it is so long and so glorious, and I am over here having not shaved for a week and having a few uh, whiskers. Uh, One day, they tell me, it'll come, one day. (laughs) How are you doing today? Yeah, I
1: did. I'm good, man. Yeah, I cut it um, like a year ago, and uh, (laughs) it Was I didn't cut it all the way down, but it was really long. It was probably like down to my waist. <laughs> my goodness, and uh, it was more like I was just trying to see how long I could get it, right, but right. <laughs> it starts to uh, get in the way of everything right. guitar playing, it gets caught on stuff. So, <laughs> like, right now, it's maybe like half that, and right. it still gets
0: caught on stuff. Right. You were going for that ZZ top award, yeah,
1: for sure. <laughs>
0: all right, well, which is always an honor.
1: That's one of my favorite right. comparisons, by the way. When <laughs> people come up and they Like, a lot of people like to say, you look like so-and-so, and and usually it's people I don't want to be told I look like. Right. (laughs) But I'm honored by the ZZ Top things. They say that, and that's cool with me.
0: Well, there we go. Well, Cole, we are going to be diving into a lot of great topics today. I'm very excited. Uh, But first of all, I want to start out by asking a question I like to ask everybody that comes on the show, and that is, (laughs) what does music mean to you?
1: Music to me means... um, I mean, music is pretty much... The only thing that's been with me my whole entire life, and it's um, what I was born with and born to do. I mean, it's like walking or breathing. I mean, it's literally that, you know? It probably sounds cliche to say those things, but if you're a musician who's done it your whole life, you know that that's true. I mean, it's something I couldn't live without. It's something I couldn't have, I don't know how I would have gotten through life. I mean, I'm sure I would have somehow. But it seems like it would have been just a little bit bleaker for me anyways. Yeah. If I had to do it without music, because um, it's just, you know, I started writing songs when I was like, really as young as seven or eight, I would just make up dumb little songs, but they were still, you know, it was still that creative part. It was still the imagination at work. Right. And, um, you know, I found out how fulfilling that was, which is still this is probably my favorite thing to do is create a song and then record it um piece by piece yeah and yeah i mean that's you know just i guess the cliche answer would be music is everything yeah. to me and it always has been
0: i love it talk me through your early life growing up so we we talked about um or we touched on the fact that you're from Louisiana Shreveport specifically but talk me through yeah. what uh what that's like growing up. Do you, big family, big musical family. What is what does that look like for you growing up?
1: Big family and big musical family. Okay. <laughs> um mainly on my dad's side. My mom's side of the family, there were some musicians um well these people who played um just, you know, not professionally. Um but you know there were a few people who at least were interested in music and guitars on my mom's side of the family but right my dad's side of the family was full of professional musicians and um that's sort of where it all started um as far as i know my my grandmother which would be my dad's mother mm. she um her i think her mother played but of course they grew up in the you know 1930s cotton fields um you know that's what they did they picked cotton so her mother wasn't doing anything professionally musically but i think she was
0: musical sure
1: and then so my grandma and her all of her siblings were all musical but my grandma was exceptionally gifted as far as music goes i say was she's still alive and she still is (laughs) um she can play the piano um I mean, almost as good as anybody I've ever heard. Um, Plays the guitar. She plays... She hasn't played the guitar much anymore because she hasn't done it in so long and her fingers hurt. Sure. She still plays the piano, though, but she played, like, Western swing, jazz-type stuff oh, nice. back in the 50s. Yeah, I mean... And that was something that no woman was really doing then other than um Mary... You know, uh... What's Les Paul's wife's name?
0: Uh... Not certain, but I know who you're talking about. I can't
1: think of her name. Um, I want to say Mary Ford, but I don't think that might be right. Um, So apart from her, there weren't many female guitar players around that time. And uh, so then that leads leads to my dad and his brother, my Uncle Keith. They um, are both professional musicians uh, their entire lives. Uh, They grew up, you know, Grandma would put them in like the... uh, they used to sing in beauty pageants like they weren't part of they weren't contestants but they would just sing you know right like during the little intermissions um and they wore like matching bell bottoms and all that stuff (laughs) when they were like nine and eleven uh and sang together through their teen years and started bands and then started playing bars um you know and then my my dad uh had once the family life kind of sets in it's like he didn't stop playing music, but I think he kind of lost sight of, um, you know, that dream of stardom. Then it, it just becomes about taking care of a family and it sure. becomes about, you know, finding work, which can be a drag.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that's, I guess that's really how it all starts is my, really my grandma's side of the family.
0: I like it. And it's, um, I, I think it's something where it was um, I think I, I think this is still true, but I think back when you talk about people picking picking cotton and not doing anything like big professionally, but still like playing music and and music was a way to not only bring people together but to also entertain. It was a way to it was a family thing. It was a family together thing. It was entertainment. Yeah, and, and yeah, you did outside the house, but it was also something that I think you know everybody had a piano in their home. Everybody was gathering around it, and it was. It was something that you you did, and it's built in. And it was
1: a way to heal. It was a way to transcend, which, you know, a lot of people, especially in that time, weren't really thinking of things like that. But that's what you're doing when you play music, and that's what's happening when somebody's listening to music and they're really, really into it. Right. You're transcending the physical world. Yes. And uh, that's, I think that's what they were after, and... um, Cause I thought about this recently we were watching some, you know, cause lately I've been getting into the mindset of thinking of music as art and imagination at work rather mm-hmm. than as a product. Yes. You know, I don't really, um, I'm not, I have no interest these days in trying to make people pleasing music. I want to make the music that pleases me. Sure. And, um, if, you know, other people like it, that's great too. Um, but I was thinking about it recently because we were watching there some TV shows on. It might have been the new American Horror Story or something. We were trying to watch <laughs> a little bit of it.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, they're, like, trapped down in a vault, vault or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a piano down there. And I was thinking, and I had the thought of, like, well, if you're trapped down there and you know that all of humanity is dead, I was like, would I still write songs? And then I was like, well, obviously I would because it makes me happy. Right. So... I would still do exactly what I'm doing, you know, so it kind of just gave me a little bit of perspective as to why I do what I do. Right. Which is because it fulfills me and it makes me, you know, it brings me joy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so incredible and amazing. And I know that, that music in it, it, as we talked about, it does bring people together, but it also, it, it, it does a lot mentally for, for the brain. And, and I, I read, I forget exactly who who brought it up or where I read it, but I read that that music, listening to music, activates a significant, a higher significant portion of your brain than if yeah. you are just going through your day without consuming music. And I found that to be true in the sense that when I feel I'm listening to music, I, I absolutely love it and it overwhelms me and overcomes me, but there's a certain point in time where I... I almost feel exhausted and not in a bad way, but in that, like I just worked out and I feel exhausted kind of way. And, Mm -hmm. and that's when I realized I was like, I don't understand why this is the case. And then someone put words to it. And I said, that makes sense. My brain is creatively stimulated to the max and it's great. And usually that means I can come down and write something, record something, whatever. But, but it also means that I've, you know, allowed myself to be pleased by the music that I'm listening to. And it transcends, what I'm currently doing to your point
1: definitely and if you think about what music does for like Alzheimer's patients yes um, people who can't even speak or can't even hold on a conversation or hold a conversation and then they put on some music from their past and all of a sudden they come back to life a little bit yes and uh, they're suddenly given these these cognitive functions that they had lost yes or seemingly had lost and the fact that music's able to do that just proves its power. Yes, 100%. And uh, I always say that music is the closest to real magic that we can get yeah. in this world. Yep. Um, it's amazing that, you know, I can, uh, like, I can sit at Pro Tools and I can record one track and then another and another and another. And it all comes from my imagination and it comes from within. And then at the end of it, I have a finished, you know project right that sounds like one coherent thing and uh that's a beautiful thing about recording too is that you know you're just really recording you're just getting an audible snapshot of a moment in time and uh and that's what's cool about you know having uh the equipment we
0: have now absolutely and it's just it's a lot, and it's great, and that's why we talk about it here on on after the encore as well. But now, walk me through, walk me through you growing up. What was your first experience? Yeah, I know we we had chatted a little bit offline, but you started out drumming, right? So, yeah. So, so walk me through how that even started because you're a guitar player now.
1: Yeah, my um, well, I guess it starts. You know, I've been singing as long as I can remember. Right. Um, just to the radio or making up songs um and then my grandma the way it started was my grandma taught me how to sing by uh pressing the keys on the keyboard she didn't teach me how to sing but she taught me how to sing on key and find the key and all that stuff because I think I would sing and they could tell that I was I wasn't tone deaf, like I could carry the tune, but I would change keys, I guess. Right. So she wanted to show me how to stay on keys. So she would, when I was like five or six years old, she would say, press this key, sing that note, you know, and then she would say the harmony note to that, sing that. So that's kind of how she taught me how to sing. She wasn't teaching me how to play keyboard, though. She was just teaching me how to sing using one note on the keyboard. Right. So that's where the singing kind of really started and then I knew that I could play drums it was just like an instinctive thing you know I used to um um I could like play drums in my head for as long as I could remember yeah and like almost with my teeth like it's kind <laughs> of a weird thing but it's like I have a whole drum set in my mouth with my teeth and I've <laughs> it's been like my whole life that I can remember that and uh I remember doing it for friends when I was like five and I'm like, Can you hear that? And they're like, It sounds like you're just slamming your teeth together. I'm like, No, it's it's a beat, trust me. <laughs> but then uh so yeah, I knew instinctively that I could play drums. And my parents would get me like little you know, like kid drum sets oh, sure. and um then when I was like seven they got me one that was a little better than a kitty set, but it was still a kitty set. Yeah. Um, just like a kick and a snare and a cymbal. And I was, you know, I could at least make a beat on it, right. but it sounded God awful. <laughs> and then, so then around eight, nine, I was begging every birthday, every Christmas, please get me a drum set. You know, a real drum set. That's all I want. Right. And, uh, they, uh, finally caved. It was Christmas of 2000, so I would have been nine mm-hmm. and I woke up Christmas morning and then to my amazement, still no drum set. And I'm like, Well, you know, I really thought I was gonna get one. And then maybe like a week after Christmas break, my dad checked me out of school, which was very unusual. Mm-hmm. Never happened. And uh I go down to the principal's office, you know, dad's there, and uh he takes me to the music store, picks me up from school, takes me to the music store to pick out a drum set. Mm-hmm. And uh I even got to choose the color blue or red. I chose blue. To me that was like, Whoa, blue or red, I got all the choices. In the world. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it was a Tama swing star drum set, which right. I think list price, they're like four or five hundred, something like that. So yeah. they're not crazy in price. But, you know, we weren't very like well off, you know. We right. we survived and we didn't go hungry, but you know, we didn't always have everything we wanted all the time right which is cool i don't think that that makes somebody a better person in any way yeah um to have everything you want all the time i don't think that makes you a better adult right um, and i still have the drum set right behind me right now that's so, awesome <laughs> yeah and it's on um some of the songs that are going to be on the cp that's coming out and uh, i still use it to this day and yes, yeah, so it's a pretty long story of how I came to be the musician I am now. So it starts with the drums. It starts with the singing and the drums. Right. And I always wanted to play guitar. It was like the thing in the back of my mind, like, one day I'm going to play guitar. But not right now, because drums is uh, playing drums is easy. You know? Right. Not that it's, you know, easy, but to me it came naturally yeah. enough to where I didn't really have to work on it, although I probably should have, <laughs> because I always i thought i was such a great drummer when i was you know like 10 or 11 sure and i was better than like the average kid that would pick it up but you know i probably was nothing compared to like Questlove or somebody like that when they were that yeah. age because I, mean. I heard a tape of me recently playing and i'm like wow i'm really not that good not as good <laughs> as i remember being um but i didn't like practice i just played yeah that's the difference Um, Maybe if I had practiced, but I didn't want it to be like a drag. I didn't want it to feel like school.
2: Sure. Because
1: it was not school. That's what was great about it. Right. And uh, so then, you know, I remember being like eight years old and I would do these country... You know, well, you can know what I'm talking about possibly because it's a big thing in Texas and Louisiana. (laughs) They don't have it anywhere else. Like Amanda (laughs) talks about how in Ohio, she wishes she had this, but they're called like jamborees or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and you... You know, it pretty much anyone and everyone can get up and sing two songs. Right, uh it's, yes. like it's like a Grand Ole Opry type Yes, thing. yes, yes, yes. And, yeah, so my dad was in the house band for one of those when I was seven. And um, a man named Bud Christian was running it. And uh, he, you know, obviously it was good that my dad was doing it because that was a good end for me to get in and do it. Right. And uh, I got to finally sing something that wasn't church music i got to i was singing in church at five that was the first time i i sang in church and uh but i just sang the same three songs like my grandma worked up these three songs for me to sing and for five years in church those are the three songs i sang (laughs) so it was i was glad that i got to um it was fun to get to sing something else i was really excited I'm like, oh, now I can sing. Like, I like it. I love it. Or right. like Chatta, Chattahoochee, or right. whatever. <laughs> and um, so yeah. And I wanted an acoustic guitar to like pretend I was playing. Sure. And my dad said, no, you have to. He's like, you can't just pretend. He's like, you have to really be able to play it. Right. You know. And uh, so I just knew one day I would play it. And and then next came after drums came piano. Which I think is a good logical step. Yeah. I mean drums is the best, in my opinion, the best instrument to start on because it creates the best foundation that a musician needs, which is rhythm and groove and timing,
0: sure, that makes sense, so,
1: yeah, so now I mean, I really play guitar like a like drums. I play guitar very rhythmically mm-hmm. um you know, people come up and they're like ask me, like are you pre recording like you have backing tracks or something oh, sure. and i'm like i think it's just the way that i slap the guitar and it's the way that you know i play as if i need a drummer cuz we do you know yeah, <laughs> like it's, yeah, there, yeah. there's no drummer it's just me and amanda so um i'm trying to cover the bass and the drums and the lead guitar all at the same time right and um <clears throat> so then keyboard was the next thing which like i said it was a logical step because it was a melodic instrument Which I knew I needed to be able to write songs. Yeah. And I knew, you know, another thing I knew I could do, it just was a matter of time when I felt like doing it. And um, so in that part of my life, music was, you know, really everything. I mean, I got distracted by the normal things that somebody my age would be distracted by, like BMX and, you know, skateboards and motocross and all that kind of stuff, which was really big then. Yeah. but it was very, very mild, you know, fascinations with those. Music was still the main thing that I was focused on all the time. Sure. And um, that then I started playing guitar at about 13. So my friend, my friend Robbie, uh, he was playing guitar. And his dad and my dad actually knew each other. Okay. They because his dad played music professionally in Shreveport, Texas, and all that. Right. And um, so him and my dad happened to know each other, and me and him happened to be in the same fifth grade class. And uh, we actually like liked the same girl, so we kind of <laughs> thought we hated each other for a sure, little bit there. And then that culminated in, uh, well, she doesn't like either of us, so let's <laughs> just not like her together. And then, yeah, so then we... Like oh and your dad knows my dad Oh that's weird So then we became like best friends That's awesome And his dad was teaching him How to play guitar a little bit And I was already playing drums and keyboard So we got together and like Made these tapes Like I had a The only way I had to record myself Was a karaoke machine that had Two tape decks on it Oh yeah So yeah So I guess you would call it Stacking or you know Maybe bouncing I don't know what you would call it Yeah Um but that was the only way I could multi-track. Um, so I would record like <laughs> drums on one tape, and then I'd put in another tape and put that tape in the other side, so that I record the second instrument on top of the drums, right. and then just keep flipping the tape until you have a full song. The only problem with that is there's you can't mix it. Right. It's like whatever goes to tape, that's what it sounds like. Right. So it, um, and I don't still have those tapes. Uh, I wish I did. Oh, that would. be um, rough. So, anyways, yeah, I played keyboard drums and sing and then he played guitar because i wasn't playing guitar yet sure but that was the fun of it you know it was like oh let's collaborate i'll do these things and you can play guitar
0: right of course yeah. It and so then we together, this yeah. was in
1: sixth grade okay. so we took it to school and we played it you know just to show off i guess right and uh then the the popular girl in school was like who's playing guitar And uh, that's what that was my cue to be like. I'm gonna play guitar now. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what. But like I said, that (laughs) that wasn't the reason I wanted to play guitar. That was the reason I started. Sure. Like that's the reason I finally got myself to start.
0: Yeah. Good motivation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess is a shallow reason, but at 12 years old, that's you know I guess that's. Normal.
0: Right. <laughs> well, I think it's good. Yes. And then, you know, it's something where, you know, the intentions were good. I mean, you had always meant to do that. And you were logically going down the path of the dis- different instruments. It's just like, okay, now I have a little bit extra motivation to uh, yeah. to try and go.
1: And then, well, I mean, I had, um, I would go to friends' houses. And I remember, like, they had guitars. And also, I'm left-handed. Okay. Which plays a part in... You know, when you go to somebody's house and you pick up their guitar, it's upside down. Right. So I can play upside down, which most left-handed players can, and it freaks out right-handed players. (laughs) They're always like, whoa, how do you do that? But most left-handed players can because you had to. Yes. Uh, When I first started, my dad's guitars, he needed them, so I couldn't restring them. Right. Um, And it took maybe like two months for them to say, my parents, to be like, okay, he's serious about guitar. We'll get him, you know, his own left-handed guitar. Yeah. Because I was left-handed, I mean, even if I see pictures of me when I'm a year old holding a toy guitar, it's left. I'm holding it left-handed. I gotcha. So it's weird how you just kind of naturally know that. Yeah. And also I had like a shoulder thing when I was being born that like kind of messed up my shoulder a little bit. Oh, sure. On my right shoulder. So I think, I don't know if I'm naturally left-handed or if the shoulder has something to do with why I right. gravitated toward the left hand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... If I would go to friends' houses, there would be a guitar, but it'd be upside down. So I went to one friend's house, and he had a guitar, because his dad also played and knew my dad, and it was kind of weird. Like, now that I think about (laughs) all this and say it out loud, it sounds, like, made up (laughs) when I think about it. Yeah. But yeah, so his dad played guitar, and he had a guitar in his room that had four strings on it. And I remember sitting there, like, holding it in my lap and just being like... Can you hear that? Yeah And then, you know, doing like that and realizing, oh, that's a melody yeah. So that's kind of where it starts, which is, that's really a bass line Yeah um, But that's kind of where that's, that's the first time I remember playing guitar And be like, oh, this is kind of interesting, right. you know And then, uh, so yeah, once the thing happened where the girl asked who was playing guitar <laughs> And I decided to start playing guitar It was just like, my hands were like magnets right. to the guitar And I couldn't put it down and uh it was just it was uh, it was probably the greatest uh time of discovery that i've ever had in my life
0: right and it was probably a lot more natural as you're learning now that you've already got the musical foundation from the drums and from the piano as well yeah
1: definitely yeah and it it just yeah because like i said i have the internal rhythm in my head always and uh so that made it easy. I didn't really, you know, it's. I think it's good for new beginning guitar players to learn to play to a metronome. Oh, sure. Um, because if you don't, you'll be, you know, you might sound really good. And then when you go to play with a drummer, it'll be all over the place. Right. But luckily I had the internal drummer. Yeah. You know, so I was, um, I'd never played to a metronome, but I did pretty much in my head.
2: Sure. I mean, uh, and sense. I played
1: along with songs a lot too. I played along to records, um, you know. Like in those days, it was like Leonard Skynyrd and stuff like that, which um, you know, most people just think "Sweet Home Alabama" or whatever or Freebird, right. but they have some incredible music, especially for guitar playing. Yeah, um, I think that's you know, Leonard Skynyrd is probably some of the best stuff to learn if you want to be that type of guitar player. You know, yeah, um, maybe along with like. You know, if you learned all the Beatles songs, you pretty much would know everything you needed to know. Yeah. Um, and Skynyrd was kind of like that for me. It was like they just kind of covered all basics. Basics and, um, yeah, that was the first music that I really geeked out over as far as guitar playing goes. Yeah. And then it was things like ZZ Top and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix and you know, um. Bad Company and things like that. A lot of older music, Led Zeppelin. Right. That was the stuff that really influenced me on guitar. Um, and then the stuff that influenced me on drums, we talked about a little bit before we actually started. Okay. Um, was, uh, you know, listening to Blink-182 and stuff like that. And again, it's, it's mainly about what you're exposed to. Like what the mainstream at that time was, you know, Pop rock or pop punk or whatever. Yes. Yes. It was very mainstream at that time. And, um, I just remember, you know, Blink 182 and, uh, Travis Barker was like the king as far as drums were concerned to me at that time. And also, I love System of a Down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because that's all great drumming music.
0: It is um, good. And, you know, there was, um, I, I have this story I've got to share with you. So my, uh, The first concert I ever went to was back in 2003, and it was at uh, this amphitheater in Dallas. It's been renamed a bunch of times. But when I went there, it was called uh, uh, Smirnoff Music Center. And it was uh, Blink-182 was headlining with Cypress Hill and Taking Back Sunday opened. And that was before Taking Back Sunday was nobody knew who they were. And I just remember Travis Barker had broken his foot previously on the tour, and so, oh he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was wheelchaired up to his drum set, and he was playing his, uh, you know, he was playing his drum set with his uh, this big cast on his foot. And I remember there was a, we were uh, my buddy and I we were near the middle of the the amphitheater, and there was this big black box to the left of us, and I had no idea what it was. And they played the fallen interlude from their 2003 self-titled album, which is just all instrumental and has a sick. Sick ass drum solo in it. And he meaning Travis played this drum solo for like two, three minutes. And I just remember he went, brum, bum, ba and like threw the drumsticks into the audience, jumped into this wheelchair that had appeared on stage. He was wheeled <laughs> off. And then all yeah. of a sudden, like, you know, Tom and Mark are still playing on stage. And then Travis appears behind me being wheeled out by a roadie. And he's wheeled into this black box, which has like a underground area. And then all of a sudden, I hear the drum solo start up again. And there's this drum set being raised up next to me and it's spinning and there's lights coming out of it and he's doing the same like two three four minute drum solos the drums are spinning higher and higher and then they eventually go back down he gets in the wheelchair gets wheeled back on stage gets back on his drum set and then finishes the song and then they go into the right and this is the middle of the set and he's got a broken foot and I just remember in that moment I was like Travis Barker is to me the best drummer bar none
1: yeah I mean he's He's a madman for sure And he's so (laughs) solid Like the things he can do Um, You know Like if I had stayed in that trajectory From the time I was 10 or 11 And was really into it If I had If I had kept down that path I may be close to where he is now Like if I had just kept drumming And not done anything else And obsessed over that I might almost be To the level of You know Just how solid he is And how quick he is yeah um but it was something you know that i didn't really i would kind of learn the parts a little bit but his drum parts were so intricate i couldn't really play them exactly i could just kind of play them my own way right um but yeah he's incredible and uh i just remember yeah around that time that was such a popular form of music oh yeah um there was, like, Blink-182, and then there were, like, the ones who were not so good, in my personal opinion, like, <laughs> Simple Plan and all those, you know. But that was stuff I listened to also because right. I like the drums in it. Yeah. I like the way it sounded. Yeah. Of course, I can't listen to it now. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but Travis Parker, that was, like, yeah. he was really inspiring. But also made me realize, like, wow, I can't play drums like that. Yeah. Because um, now hard I don't, you know... What I care most about now is, like, what serves the music. Yeah. So when I play drums now, it's just I want it to be solid and uh, have a little bit of a groove to it, and that's really all I need, you know. I need it to, as long as it sounds good and it serves the song and it carries the song along, that's what my drumming does now. So everything that I did growing up has come to fruition now, and it all makes sense. Right. It all works within the context of what I do now, and so I wouldn't trade it. But just saying, if I had just said, "Okay, I'm going to be a drummer, and I'm going to drum like Travis Barker," and I had done that for the last 15 years, you know, yeah, but at that time I was like so far from it. Right. But in my head, it sounded like
0: it. Right. Definitely. Well, and yeah, that's funny
1: because I heard him talk about that on uh i think he's on joe rogan's podcast oh yes, and yes yes he talked about how he was how he had to play like a month with a broken foot yes <laughs> and i guess he was like running through the airport or something and somehow like i guess tore his achilles or something like that yeah
0: yeah it was crazy i just remember like that was this weird random time period where he was doing that and i was fortunate enough to see it and it was the first concert i ever got to and it was just monumental but but you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be back with more Cole Vosbury after this.
2: Ain't got nothing on
0: back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And now uh, it's time to talk about the voice. This is the voice. Cole, we're talking about the voice. Yep. It's crazy. Let's talk about it. All right. This <laughs> is, I mean, like with everybody else that's been on this, uh, this volume of the podcast, uh, this is what people are probably most familiar with most familiar with you from, but I want to wind the clock back just a little bit. So you've, uh, you've gotten into guitar, you're mastering guitar, you're going on that. Walk me through the gap between now you're regularly playing and performing as a guitar player and singer, and then transitioning into the voice. What was that time period like for you?
1: Yeah. So I maybe also, I guess, this will kind of go back to my childhood a little bit. I sure. I quit school at 15, which is a pretty common thing that you'll hear a lot of musicians say. Right. Um, but I just, I knew, you know, and I always say I don't advocate dropping out of school. I knew it wasn't, I wasn't getting what I needed out of it. Sure. Um, and I knew what I was going to do. That It's pretty much that simple, you know? Yeah. Like, I knew I was going to play music, so I knew that it was wasting my time. I just felt like... This is seven hours a day that I could be at home getting better at what I'm gonna do. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't hip to school. Um, there were days that I liked it, but most of the time. And plus, I'm a night owl. Um, that's why I'm glad you were able to push this back a little later because <laughs> I needed some sleep. Yeah. But it was like I couldn't go to sleep. Also, that was another thing. I would just like just lay in bed till three or four in the morning. Like I couldn't go to sleep, yeah. and then I had to get up and go to school. And so then you're half asleep all day. My grades are terrible. And uh, so yeah, what I'm getting to was I was already out of school at 15 and I had a regular job at 15. I was working my friend's dad owns a nut and bolt place and I worked in the warehouse when I was 15 and 16. And then then from that time on, I didn't once I quit there, I didn't really work a job much. Um, I played with my I would sit in with my dad's band a lot when I was 16, 17 Um, But most of the time, I just sat home and recorded and wrote songs. And then when I was 18, maybe 19, uh, it was getting to that time where it's like, okay, you need a job. You don't, you know, mom can't keep giving you gas money. So I started working at a steakhouse in Shreveport, or actually in Bossier called Two Johns. Okay. And uh, my friend had started working there. Same friend I was talking about earlier, Robbie. He had started working there. And uh, it's also a piano bar. So what happened okay. was I was I was like back serving, which is just glorified bussing. Right. Um, it's a nice way of saying you're a you know bus boy basically. Right. And I did that for like a month and a half, and I was terrible at it, and um, it was nowhere near what I wanted to be doing. And I would just think about that piano in the corner. I'm like, that's what I want to be doing. I'm like, well, I can do what they're doing. Why why can't I do that? Right. So I talked to John, the owner, and uh, he's like, "Well, come sit in. You know, I'd like to hear you." So I went and sat in. and He's like, "Yeah, you're great. You can. I'd love to have you play here. You know." And uh, he said, "You know, it's like 175 dollars for a night or whatever." Yeah. And I was only making like thirty dollars a night doing the busboy thing, and that you know on a bad night. Right. So I, uh, he just said it was like one Saturday night. He was like can you play this saturday and i said well i'm supposed to work here and he's like he's like well i want you to play and uh so i told the manager and she's like well you can do one or the other so i was like okay well i'll see (laughs) you so that was basically that's where my full-time professional career started where i haven't looked back or done anything else since right um so that would have been like right when i turned 19 And I started playing piano there and then started playing piano at another place. Um, I would play piano at the first place on Wednesdays and then on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I think. And then play the other place Fridays and Saturdays. Um, So right there, that's like, you know, $700 a week or something just in the piano bars. I mean, you can make a really good living playing music. I think that's a huge misconception. Yeah. That you can't make a living, you can make a very good living. You just have to be, you know, willing. I guess. Yeah. Um. And then around that time, so that's I was doing that, and then I but I'm, that's kind of, not as fulfilling because I love to play piano, but I don't like to play piano only piano for four or five hours. Right. You know, the third or fourth or fifth hour starts to be kind of a drag. Sure. (laughs) But I knew what was never a drag was playing with a band. So I was like, well. You know, I'm a I'm also a blues rock guitarist and you know, I wanna do that too. So then the piano bar became like the job and then I started a trio, um, and it was just me drums and bass and it was just it was really just me and one drummer and then we would have to get different bass players all the time. Um Sure. But this my drummer Sean stuck with me the whole time and uh So we started doing that on weekends when I wasn't doing the piano bar thing. And uh, that's, I feel like, doing the piano bars and playing the bar gigs with the band is when I started to really become the vocalist I wanted to be. Um, You know, I started to like what I was hearing more and more. Yeah. uh, Because you're your own worst critic, so... You know, when I was 17, 18, I really wasn't crazy about my voice. Um, I knew that I had something in it. I knew there was something there, but it wasn't there yet. So around that time, you know, 1920, 21, I was really like feeling I, like I was coming into my own. And it was weird. Like I just knew, like a year before The Voice, I knew I was going to be on TV, which is like a really weird thing. And it wasn't, I wasn't thinking The Voice, I don't think The Voice was even on yet. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah maybe it had you know maybe it was i wasn't watching it so right. i didn't really know right what it now. was i knew adam levine was on this new like american idol type show right. that's pretty much all i knew and i liked maroon five a lot at that time yeah especially some of their older stuff oh man and, uh,
0: songs about jane is still one of my favorite albums yeah
1: i mean oh. i think adam is just an incredible creator and songwriter yes. and he's he, his imagination is you know like one of the best as far as pop music right um Even now, their stuff's great if you like pop music. like You can't find much better pop music than that, in my opinion. Um, He's just really good at what he does.
0: I agree. And that
1: shows in every part of their career. So yeah, I knew Adam Levine was on it, and probably knew Blake was on it, and that was really it. But I knew I was going to be on TV. It's like, I remember thinking... Like a year before, being like, "How should I have my hair when I go on TV?" Like it's the weirdest thing that yeah. probably sounds silly to explain. But I, like I said, I didn't know it was going to be the voice. I didn't I didn't know like it was going to be American Idol. I just knew in my soul I was going be to there. be on television uh, sometime within the next year. So then, um, February 2013, I was. I turned 22. That April, so I was still 21 at this point when I auditioned. Mm -hmm. Um, February 8th, I believe, and I went to Houston. um, Because you kind of have to, like, uh, prepare a little bit to be able to even do an open call. Like, you have to, there's a lot of prep work involved. Like, you have to go online and fill out a form. Well, it probably isn't a lot of prep work, but to me, who doesn't like paperwork at all or (laughs) homework, I was like, I gotta do all this, okay, but you so, have to like sign up
0: basically. So you did a you did an open casting call for the show. Yeah, okay. which
1: most people that they get on their show are, um, private auditions. Yeah, which oh, means
0: yeah, I mean there's, they, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, I didn't didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, there's been a I mean a couple people on the season already. The listeners will be familiar with Michael Lee, uh, Tony Luca, Cody Ballou were all private auditioners. They were people that were. Um, found and then asked to come in and audition separately. So this is this is interesting. For some reason, I, I had in my head that you were also that, but you were you went to an open audition at uh, Houston. You said you went down to Houston. Is that where they had it?
1: Yeah, yeah, Houston. Okay. And uh, so that was February, and then Houston's like four hours from Shreveport, so right. it wasn't too far of a drive. So I drove down there with my aunt, and my sister. They kind of made me go, like because. <laughs> I'm very, like, um, you know, I do things at the last minute, and yeah. I decide at the last minute, <laughs> and if they hadn't, because also I had to leave at, like, 6 a.m., which yeah. is not cool. Right, we've and, historically
0: uh, gone through that, <laughs> why that's not cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, they came to my house that morning and, like, made sure I went, you know, if it wasn't for them, I probably would have opted out. Right. If they hadn't forced my hand. <laughs> and, uh. So yeah, they, we drove down there and I did the audition. It was super weird because I had to, they won't let you play a guitar. Like they want you to just sing.
2: Okay. And I'm
1: like, I haven't, I haven't just stood and sang since I was probably like eight, you know? Right. And even then I didn't like it. Yeah. I knew that my hand, my right hand needed something, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I hated the standing there and singing, and it, it was, I was so nervous. Like basically what they do is they bring 10 people, they create, 10 groups you know yeah and uh like kind of like PE class and then they send you into a room as that group of 10 and you all each get up and sing like you know a minute or you know 90 seconds or whatever right and uh I was last and I remember like I almost had to get up and walk out like I don't know what kept me from doing that because I was so close to just getting up and leaving. Yeah. Because I was just, my heart was pounding and it was just the anticipation, I think. Sure. And uh, being so far out of my comfort zone. But that's why I was there and I had to tell myself that, you know, I'm like, you're not going to, you're not going to measure up to what you want to be if you don't leave your comfort zone. You have to do this. Right. And I think that was the voice in my head just kept telling me that. So I stayed, I got up and I sang the shakiest Bruno Mars probably ever. <laughs> um, I sang a ra- like a random Bruno Mars song. That, well, it's not random if you know the albums, but it's right. it's a deep cut called, um, what's the name of that song? All that I should have done, if I knew mm-hmm. one day you'd come. I think it's called If I Knew, okay. which is on his uh, Unorthodox Jukebox album. And uh, it's a little bluesy, like a little R&B soul kind of sound. And not pop at all. Right. And so I sang that song, and uh, at the end of the thing, he said, okay, um, everybody, thank you, Cole, you're the only one that I want to stay. I'm like, okay, cool. And then he's like, what kind of, he's asking me, like, what kind of music do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I do everything. Like, I love all music. I don't want to sing all music, you know. If I like it, I sing it. It's just that simple. And he was kind of saying, well, you know, they want you to pick a lane and all that which again goes back to they don't really know
0: right
1: like they don't really know music
0: right. all just that well. a TV show yeah
1: they know television um you know so he was trying to kind of steer me in that direction and I sang a couple other songs I sang like an Amos Lee song um and then I sang something else so I had I sang like oh, I sang Bruno Mars Amos Lee like things that were just completely on different parts of the spectrum and uh you know, got the red ticket, not a golden ticket, <laughs> but it's, it's basically like the part of American Idol that they show, right? but for the voice, they don't show gotcha. it. You know, like the whole audition right. part and people sounding really bad, you yeah. know, the voice doesn't exploit that, that level of entertainment, which it is entertainment, right. but, um, so that's, yeah, then they give you an open, call. Co- they give you, after the open call, you get a call back, so then you go sing for the casting agents, and this time you can play and you can have a track. Is this
0: the same day or is this a different um, day?
1: This is like three days is later. Still in so we drove home. Okay. Yeah. So we drove home and then drove back, um, and that was at like center stage, one of those oh, type yeah, places. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and I sang for the casting agent, Michelle McNulty. She's super cool. And she was always, like, really encouraging from the beginning. She was one of the first ones. Because you need that, especially when you're so green yeah. to, like, how all that stuff works. And you've never had any, um, you know, well, you've had people tell you you're good, but they're just people, you know, in the bar that walk up and say, hey, you're really good, you know. Um, it's But this was the first time I had that reassurance from, you know, professional, you know, right. industry-type people. And she was the one What happened in my audition Was interesting Because I did I think I did You know Very cliche Audition-y songs Which is like Sunday Morning By Maroon 5 Which everybody sings right. Valerie By Amy Winehouse Which everybody sings So much to the point Where they're like Can you do something else If you're like If you say Oh I'm gonna sing Valerie And they're like Eh You know Cause they've heard it 200 times right. Already And uh so I She said Do you have something A little more upbeat Because I had done Two slow songs Or you know Slower songs right. And uh I just I said How about the Jeffersons <laughs> And I don't know Where it came from <laughs> I don't know why I said it It was the first thing I thought of Like cause I had been Doing it With my band Like this kind of like um, Like that uh, yeah. kind of thing um, Just kind of funky Louisiana swampy like. thing And so I just For whatever reason Blurted it out well, How about the Jeffersons <laughs> And I'm like What? You know In the back of my head I'm like Why did I say that? <laughs> and she had this look On her face Like that could be interesting right. And I'm like Yeah it could And then so I pick up My guitar And I played it And She And the, she's like That is so cool You have to like Do that You know You have to do that For the producers right. And in the back of my head, I thought, because they still don't tell you yes or no at the end of that audition. You're like, it's still a waiting game. Like, okay, wait for our email. If you don't hear back from us in 30 days, then it's a no. So then you have 30 days of waiting around and that whole thing, which reminds me of doing musicals, which I did when I was like eight or nine, Um, like full-blown theater productions. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing. It's theater, basically, mixed with reality TV, mixed with, you know pageantry yep, i don't know nope, that's accurate. but mixed with karaoke right. <laughs> um so that i was like oh i just sabotaged myself why did i do that song that was so dumb that was the worst thing i could have done it turned out they loved it and they're like you got to do that again i'm like oh, okay so i did it again and then because there's like four preliminary auditions yeah before you even get to the Before you even get to think you're going to do a blind audition, and then they still can eliminate, they still eliminate, like, half of the people they bring to L.A. for blind auditions. Oh, wow. Like, there's, like, 350 people, at least our season. I can't attest to what they do now. Sure. You know, this has been seven years ago, but they would bring us, they brought, like, 350 people out, and only 140 or 120 actually get to do blind auditions. Yeah. And well, if the teams fill up, that's it. Like whoever's left doesn't get to go. It's just luck of the draw. Right. Not really luck of the draw. It's the the draw is where the producers decide they're gonna who they're gonna let go. Right. Um, and I got very lucky. I got I was the f- they take you in a group of three, and uh, I was in the first group. So even though it didn't air that way, I didn't air until like yeah, was, I think I aired on the second yeah. night. But I was actually the first person to make a team that season because they took us in a group of three. We were the first ones, and one girl went, and she sounded okay, but it wasn't great, you know, no chair turn. Another country guy went again, just kind of fell flat and was okay but not great. So then I go out, and I think, you know, maybe just because, um, well, the, what happened was I played the Jeffersons, and CeeLo noticed that the audience had gotten up off their feet because I think the first, like I said, the first two just fell kind of flat, and those, are, you know, those are the first people that that audience, live audience, got to right. hear. So they're kind of waiting for something spectacular, yeah. and uh, not that my Jeffersons was spectacular <laughs> by any no, it was means. good, man. But <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but um, I think that when people heard that, they're like. Oh, this is interesting. And they kind of got up off You're their right. feet. And that's what Silo, that's what made him perk yeah. up. And that's why he turned his chair. My name's Cole.
0: Well, first of all, that's an awesome situation you got right here. Yes, sir. I'm trying, man. I want that.
3: Wait a minute. Where are you from? I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana. Okay. My man. <laughs> now, dude, I'm going to tell you. I picked you because you're a great balance of country and soul. And I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, so I'm a country boy myself. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: wait. wait, wait. I'm from the country. Well, Atlanta's way out there in the middle of nowhere. True. Really. <laughs> Dude, I figured the person who would pick to do the Jefferson theme song has got to be a badass. I had to turn around <laughs> yes, for you. Yes, well, Thank you. In addition thank to you. how cool that was for me, you got the people up off of their feet. So. Yeah.
1: Thank you, guys. I was going to say, Adam, I'm a huge fan of yours.
0: I really am. Oh, man. Yeah. All of you. Just for you tell me one thing you're making me real happy. Can you tell me you're a bigger fan of me than Blake?
1: Yeah, I mean... Yeah! Yeah. No, no, I love Blake to death. And I love Christina and CeeLo. And I'm so honored to be on your team. Come
3: on down, buddy.
1: You know, I owe so much to CeeLo, which I didn't express to him at that time because you're so wrapped up in what you're doing and what's going on. And especially being so young, you know, and being so, like, in your own head about how you're being perceived and how you sound. Um, I was just so wrapped up in the whole thing that I didn't show enough gratitude to CeeLo. At least that's how I feel. Um, maybe it, maybe it's whatever to him, but if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been there. Uh, it all started with him because that's one thing about the show that's true is, um, not that I'm implying anything else isn't cause yeah. you know, they don't let us know too much, but you can kind of pick up on what's, what's real and what's, What's Hollywood? So, but the coaches have the final decision, and they're not told to turn their chair for anybody. And again, now it's such a huge thing. Maybe they are. I don't know. But at our time, it was, you know, if they wanted to turn their chair, they turned it. If they didn't, they didn't. So that was really cool of him. And he's the only one that heard something in me. I mean, and 90 seconds is such a short amount of time for people to listen and hear you and decide if they think that you're worthy of you know being on this show and being and filling one of their 12 person spots um 90 that was like the longest and shortest 90 seconds ever it was like time kind of just warped and stretched right um it went by so quick and so slow at the same time and you're just kind of like staring at those chairs you're like just turn somebody just turn and you're like don't but don't stop singing. You right, know? it's a weird <laughs> yeah. thing, but yeah. we're back to the Jeffersons. That so whenever I got to the producers and they kept saying, "You have to do that again," and I was like, "They really like this," and I was starting to kind of get bummed because I really I was like, "I don't want to do this song," you know, like everybody has this beautiful moving moment, right. and I thought, anyways, I'm like, "That's what All I right. want," you know. I'm like, "This is silly," and you know, to some people, it probably was silly, but. Um, a lot of people liked it and they liked it and it was different and it was unique. And it's sort of, it makes sense now that I would do that because it was, you know, blues, rock, um, gritty, raw, which is what I just naturally do. Um, especially at that time. So it really was just a reflection of me. So the more I get away from it, the less I regret. That being my song, yeah. where at the time I was really bummed about it. Um But then, of course, when it worked, I guess I couldn't complain too much. Right. But beforehand, I was like in tears saying, please don't make me do this yeah. song. Like, you know, yeah. like they're going to laugh at me kind of right. thing. Uh But eventually they just convinced me and I said, all right, well, you know, I'll do it. And if it doesn't work, um I'll know that I was right. right. I guess that's <laughs> all. Um, but it ended up working. Yeah. So they ended up working.
0: No complaints. Yeah, you ended up on CeeLo's team for a couple of rounds, but then you ended up getting uh, knocked out in the uh, – in the not well, not, eliminated in the knockout rounds uh, before Blake uh, ended up saving you. And Blake is the team you ended up riding all the way to the the final four. So talk me through what the early experience was like going through that uh, before the live show, um, getting let go by CeeLo and then saved by Blake and then kind of starting the live show – Run, uh, where you had several several songs charting on iTunes uh, to get to the final four. That's a lot to unpack, but take yeah. it, take it, take us away. It was,
1: it was um, really pretty surreal because when I did the blind audition, I think I was one of those people that everybody thought, okay, well, there he's decent, you know, but he'll be out after the first couple rounds. Like you know, right. there's those people that just kind of rub people that way. And I think mainly because of the song I did and because of my still um, naive and lack of confidence that I still was probably, you know, that I probably was was giving off at that time. You know, because I still wasn't very confident when I did the Blind Audition. Because the Blind Audition, we filmed in July, and it doesn't air until September. that's right. Uh, And then that's when the season gets started. But all the stuff before Lives has been filmed in July and September and October, so right. before it actually went live in November. Um, so I still, at during the Blind Audition, my confidence level was still not even, you know, I still was very much reserved and in a shell and just tr- kind of going along with the whole thing. Right. Um, but at the same time, thinking it was pretty bizarre. Um, so I thought, you know, I didn't really have any expectations, and that's one of my... I think that's one of the ways I get through things is I don't have expectations right. about anything um, because if I if I'm like I don't expect anything good I don't expect anything bad I just don't expect anything right other other than to do it and that was kind of the way that I approached and that's not something I it's not like a philosophy that I learned or you know made myself be diligent about it just kind of naturally happened and it's you know. Still, I still do it today, um, even more so now. But at the time, I just didn't think about, you know, what was going to happen. And then the next thing I know, um, it's people are really starting to actually like latch on to what I was doing. More people than I ever expected, Uh, and then so I did. For battle rounds, um, my friend Lupe and I did Africa by Toto, which is a great song, but it was not a good choice for either yeah. of us to sing. It didn't air like they it was just a montage for the battle right. rounds. Um because like I said it's a great song, but he's got like an Amos Lee type voice. Oh sure. Um, very like folky acoustic Americana thing and I've got the gravelly thing. Like it just Africa was not a good yeah. choice. It, especially not to do it like the record. Right because if we had maybe reworked it or something like just the two of us to do it a certain way maybe it would have worked yeah. but we sang it basically just like toto and neither of us were really into it and i don't blame them for not hearing it it <laughs> makes sense they didn't cuz it just wasn't it probably wasn't very exciting fair, fair enough um so then you know i won that and then we went to the knockouts and the knockouts was i did um That's when I did Let Her Go, the Passenger song. they give you a list of, like, because for the Knockouts, you get to, quote-unquote, choose your song. Right. But you're choosing from a list of, like, 450 songs, which is still a lot of songs to choose from. So I uh, was looking at the list, and I wanted to, like, I wanted to go over this list, like, homework. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to miss out on a good song. Right. There were so many songs on there I already knew, you know, like... uh You know, She Will Be Loved or Living for the City by Stevie Wonder. You know, songs that I already knew that I could just, oh yeah, I could just go out there and do that and that'll be easy. But I just kind of like felt like I was going to miss out on something if I didn't go over that list very diligently. So I went over the list and I listened to every single song that I had never heard. And one of the songs on there was Let Her Go by Passenger and i had never heard the song never heard of passenger and cuz at that time that song was very big internationally but it wasn't popular in the us right, at all. that's true it wasn't even charting yeah. um it was like yeah you know, i don't think anybody knew it other than people who listened to like underground americana stuff right. and uh, yeah. i heard that song and i'm like oh this is really interesting like the melody it just sounds like something that i would write at that time yeah. Which is why I I think I chose it, and uh, I just raised the key up like a step and a half. Right. So I took it from it, the original's in G, and I did it in B flat just because that's a little more my um, more my range. Sure. So just raise it up a little bit, and um, that gave it a little more life and a little more energy too. You know, because the original is just very like. Staring at the bottom of your glass. You know, it's not yeah. very exciting in any way, unless that excites <laughs> you. So, I, but I knew that if I lifted it up, it'd give it a little more energy. So I did that song. And um, that was when they did the whole Blake-Adam thing. Yeah. Um, and Adam had told us, he told me and Johnny Gray who I was going against. He said, whoever, because um, well, he, he said that, he wanted both of us on his team, and he was like, you you guys are both two regrets of mine, so whoever doesn't win this, I'm going to save the other. So we were both like, okay. Yeah. You know, we didn't have to worry anymore right. about, you know, who's going home. And uh, so that was whenever Adam, I was like, okay, now I'm on Adam's team because CeeLo chose Johnny, and I think... The main reason he chose Johnny, because a lot of people um, have said, you know, I can't believe he didn't choose you because they really love that performance of mine so much. And they're like, I can't believe that he didn't choose you. And I think what happened was, and again, this is just me kind of, um, you know, thinking about the whole situation. I never talked to CeeLo about it, but I think he knew because I had expressed how much of a Maroon 5 fan I was, you know, up to that point. I think he knew or felt like I would rather work with Adam than him. So I think that was just like a nice gesture for him to do for me, um, which is super cool of him. And actually now I would, I'd give anything to work with CeeLo, which is like, um, I guess ironic, but (laughs) at the time I knew, you know, crazy by Norris Barkley. And I knew a little bit of his, um, Lady Killer solo album. But I wasn't, you know, I was just kind of sleeping on how great he actually is. And at the time, I was kind of denying how much I love R&B and um, black music, really. I thought that I was... Because it goes back to what I was saying about not wanting to write to be a people pleaser. I think I was singing to be a people pleaser. So you kind of have these... These people in your mind that you're singing for and who you're marketing to and you're like, okay, well, those are the people I need to impress when really those people don't exist. They only exist in your mind. The only person that matters is who you're looking at in the mirror. So, you know, I was denying who I really was um, musically and what really influenced me musically and what really drove me most of all, which Truthfully speaking is black music right. um, it, all, it goes back You know Ray Charles is One of my heroes um, James Brown Michael Jackson uh, If I go back and realize That most of the, the music that influenced Me the most was black yeah. music So I think I was kind of denying that part Of myself and thinking that uh, I gotta pander To a certain type of music Listener
0: I mean that makes sense. And, uh, there's so many. There's yeah. so much good music all throughout the years. Like I mean, you got Fats Waller in the 20s, and you got Little Walter with blues, and then you've got you know of course you got M- Muddy Waters, and and you know you've got the the greats that you mentioned as well, James Brown, Michael Jackson, um, and you just you continue to go on, and it's 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 not only the the R&B and the the jazz and the blues and all the different music that is. Uh, evoke such emotion and creative expression, but you really feel the the pain and the struggle and everything that the the culture has gone through and continues to go through. Yeah. And that's what really bleeds. And so when we talk about music being transcendent, you can really feel it pulsating every time you start a record, you know, to your point.
1: Yeah, and like, even like hip-hop music. Right. Um, and that goes back earlier... I think off air, we were talking a little bit about, um, Erica Badu and Questlove and the roots. And, uh, I was telling you how that's music that I was only exposed to because of Chappelle's show. When I was like 13, 14, Chappelle's show was new and hot. And it was one of my favorite shows. And, uh, for whatever reason, I so much identified with that culture that, and I don't know why, but I just did. And, um, You know, and growing up in that part of the world, or that part of the country anyway, it's, you know, the racial tension is very high, you know, and uh, sometimes you can cut it with a knife, and uh, you know, that's what I grew up around. Um, I grew up around, you know, it was just normal to be racist, everybody was racist, and I never identified with that, um, you know, hating somebody, that I should hate somebody just because the way they look, or... Their heritage, and it, just, it, it never resonated with right. me that that's how I should be. So when Chappelle's show came on and they started playing, like, Anthony Hamilton, who's an incredible R&B, hip-hop artist. Um, Most Deaf, Eric Badu, these are things I was never exposed right. to. And, you know, I was telling you how you know Dave Chappelle made a point that he only wanted those artists on his show because they weren't getting the love that they deserve from the mainstream, widespread population. Right. Uh, like, John Mayer wanted to be a musical guest, but Dave was very adamant that, you know, I only want hip-hop and R&B. Right. You know, because that type of music does... If you At that time, if you turn on, like, a late-night show, which I loved Conan O'Brien when I was a kid, yeah. uh, it was always rock music, and it was always... Um, You know, like my morning jacket and bands like that. Um, The R and B hip hop wasn't getting any love at all. So and but that kind of ties into the voice thing. It comes back because after I was already off CeeLo's team. This is maybe like top twelve. It was a live round, and they said you need to, um, you know, send us a song you want to do because I was at home at this time. I've gotten to go back home and they would email us and they ask us what we were thinking about doing when we came back, um, that we should really be thinking about what songs we wanted to do. And we had, for the battle rounds, we had worked with Miguel. Uh, who was an incredible R&B artist. And at the time, like I said, keeping myself, you know, in the dark, I didn't know who he was. Um, I was, everybody's like, Miguel's gonna, oh my God, Miguel. And I'm like, who, you know? Um, they're like you don't know miguel and so i got to work with him before i even heard his music and uh, he's a super nice guy and just uh, very wise and i think he was pretty young at that time maybe like 27 he wasn't you know but he's like one of those old soul kind of people right. where he's just you can tell he's wise and and beyond his yeah. years and uh, I loved working with him so after that I listened to his record and I was and I heard Adorn was the first song I heard and I was like oh my god this song is so good yeah. like I couldn't believe how good it was and I'm like I just worked with this guy and I didn't even know that he was this good right. you know I felt kind of like ashamed of myself that I didn't know who he was and uh so at that point I got to get in touch with the R&B side a little bit yeah. and um do that song. I did it a little more acoustically, but it was still, you know, I did. I kept the R and B in it. Um. So yeah, that's kind of how that song came about. I
0: like it. And then, so talking through at that point, then you've got. I mean, you still keep going on, and then you end up getting to the the final four eventually. And I want to kind of wrap this up with uh, wrap this segment up with something I read. That you had said a couple of years ago where you talked about you uh I'm trying to find the exact quote, so I don't paraphrase um, but you talk about um let me see here, um where was it oh talk I'd
1: be interested in yeah what said. no
0: um <laughs> what was it um oh my goodness, I cannot find. Oh, you you had said that the reason that you got eliminated was because they cut your beard, but that's not that's not what I was trying to find oh. <laughs> Um no. no, it was talking about um well I'm I'll paraphrase it. It was either on uh it was either on dot com or Mtv.com. It was one of the two. But essentially you had said that you were glad you were thankful for the experience, but you were glad you ended up not being in the top the top three, so you didn't have to be locked into a contract, oh yeah, yeah, but you glad you had the experience that you could go and write, you know, as we've touched on before, music for you, music that you want to write, music that's pleasing for you, and that's something that you were excited about moving to Nashville for
1: definitely, yeah, that's something I'll still say to this day, um, that if you know people always want to say, "You should have won or you should do it again, those kind of things, which I understand where they're coming from. Right. Um, And I understand that they don't understand the process, really. Which, that's cool, you know. Um, But, for the record, to win the voice is the worst possible outcome. Um, It really is. Unless that's what you wanted. If that's what you wanted out of it, I should rephrase. Um, If that's what you wanted out of it, then that's great. But if what you wanted out of it was creative control, and, you know, to be able to do your art the way you want to do it, um, then winning is not what you want right. uh, and at that point like I said I don't know the contracts now they change all the time like whenever we were on it they said you don't want to do an original song because if you do then NBC owns it automatically uh. and now like our friend Jake Hoot, who just won he uh, he did an original song so I don't know which he actually wrote with our friend Dave Pahanish who we write a lot of our songs yes. with and uh, I don't know how that's working if NBC owns it or if they changed the contract I don't know um, so at that time a lot of things were different maybe but so in that season if you won the, if you actually if you went into top three then they had the option on you automatically or something like that yeah because um, it was top five one week and then top three the next week so if you had um, If you Got to top three Then They could option Basically to sign you And do nothing with you If that's what they chose to do Because that's the way contracts work With major record companies yeah. Um, They can just You know you can record an album And then they put it on the shelf for ten years yeah. And they say um, Yeah we're not going to release it yet And then they never release it So um, That's kind of what you end up in Because I mean, I heard a story about Craig Wayne Boyd, who won, I think, season seven or something, Mm -hmm. Um, which I never watched it before I was on it, and I never watched it (laughs) after. That's that's just the fact. But I think he was season seven, and he said that he had walked into Universal Republic, which was, that's the record label that you end up on if you you win. Yeah. And he had walked into Universal Republic the next day after he won, and they didn't know who he was. Wow. And that shows how little attention they pay yeah. to what's actually happening and how little they actually care, uh, at least at that point. Um, you know, and I haven't really talked to Jake since he won. I'd be interested to see how it's going for him. Uh, we haven't talked to him on a one-on-one basis about his experience. You know, it seems like he's doing well with it. I think because he's doing that Nashville country thing, they see that as something marketable. Yeah. Um, but they see that as something easily marketable, which is, you know, it's great for him. Yeah. And, uh, but if I, you know, I came to Nashville only because I felt like that was the next logical step yeah. to leave Shreveport. And that's the main reason why I left, why I did the voice um, to, for the exposure, obviously, but also because I needed to get out of Shreveport. Yeah. You know, I just, you can be a local musician for the, for your whole life and you can make a living, but you're not doing anything to serve your art right. and you're not doing anything to serve your imagination and creativity really you're ju- or your legacy um, if you want to leave behind a legacy you have to find some way to break out of your your hometown circle and uh, now with the internet it's really easy to do those things yeah, Definitely. but at the time I wasn't utilizing the internet the way I should I still don't yeah. without Amanda there would be no like presence whatsoever <laughs> um at that time you know i c- i had equipment to record myself i was re- writing and recording original music but i wasn't putting it out when i could have been Um but at the time i was just i kind of was in that mindset of one day somebody's gonna come along and they're gonna make me a star like that kind right. of thing which is so <laughs> delusional that's good but at the time that's the way i thought right. and uh you know i wish i'd utilized the internet a little bit more i wish i would now i still don't like right now i'm working on what i feel is the best stuff i've ever worked on it's my favorite stuff i've ever worked on and uh there's tons of it because i'm i'm working and writing every day and recording every day and uh i get stuff i can't wait to get out and ha- and for people to hear it but it's just a matter of you know figuring out the right way to put it out right Cause I could just dump it all on YouTube and SoundCloud, but you know, the chances of anybody hearing it are a lot slimmer that way.
0: Absolutely. Well, We'll dig more into that here in this last segment. You're listening to after the encore. I'm your host Joe Shaw and we'll be right back after this. listening after the encore i'm your host joe shaw and i'm back with cole vosbury and cole now you're in nashville and i want you to talk me through the first time you met amanda amanda is your uh counterpart uh not just in life but in the lovers band uh so talk Mm -hmm. me through what that was like moving to nashville meeting amanda and forming the lovers
1: yeah so um like i said earlier I moved to Nashville right after the voice. Right. And uh the reason being is because I felt like it was the next logical step. Um yeah. I didn't know where else to go, but I knew I needed to go somewhere. And you know, to be quite honest, I'm not crazy about Nashville, <laughs> but I'm not I'm also not like a city type person that much. Um okay. you know, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not a country boy whatsoever, but I like the country. Yeah. Meaning I like what I like open spaces and, you know, Serenity and uh, You know Peace and quiet Yeah um, And I don't like a lot of people um, Which is weird <laughs> Doing what I do But right. And I having to meet it. people Which I do actually I like meeting You know people who Are fans Yeah But as far as just everyday people And being in crowds It's like My worst nightmare Yeah um, And being around a lot of people So in Nashville You're around a lot of people constantly Wherever you go If you just go to Kroger, you're around a lot of people. (laughs) So, you know, I'm not crazy about Nashville, and we want to move somewhere else eventually. Both of us are on the same page about that. Um, But at the time, we're trying to, you know... There's a lot of people here that we've met with um, within the industry that it's good that we can at least be somewhere where they are. And if we need to go have a meeting or talk about something, we can do that really easily. Right. Um, So for the time being, it's working, but we're both excited at uh, other you know cities we could check out or other places we could check out and um so anyways after i moved i mean literally right after the voice i moved here the well the voice ended december 10th something like that yeah. um and then after that was over i went back to streetport um first you know less than a month later i was in nashville looking for an apartment Cause I always wanted to live in Nashville. I have a friend um, who's a singer. Her name's Catherine, and uh, she moved here um, a little bit before me. And so I would come up here a lot to play guitar for her, for her label showcases, or just to visit. And uh, so I was up here quite often. So, but that was more in like Franklin area, which is a little more rural at that time. Okay. now it's become really popular but at that time it was more of a rural place so that, I wasn't really going to downtown Nashville but it, coming to Nashville you know, driving through it and seeing the skyline and uh, I, I just um, I found a place and within a month and a half I had moved out here I was trying to think I mean, I guess I moved I got the apartment in February so like less than two months after the voice ended But I was touring a lot, and uh, so I I got the apartment, but I wasn't actually staying in it. I just, it was here. And the first day that I got back from touring, and was actually living in the apartment and moving in. So it feels like, it feels like as soon as I moved to Nashville, but it wasn't really. But um, it was the second day after I had moved in, I went to Puckett's Boathouse in Franklin with my friend Catherine and her husband, and uh, there's a guy named Walker Hayes who he's lately he's been gaining a lot of traction and doing really well. And at the time, he was doing a thing at Puckett's Boathouse where he it was just an acoustic set every Wednesday night, and he would like dedicate he would give the last hour of his set up to anybody who wanted to get up and sing. Okay. And we just happened to be there eating, and uh, because. Catherine knew Walker and said she wanted to go see him so we went there and uh, so I wasn't performing I was just there attending and Amanda got up and sang and so that was the first time I saw her and heard her and I was just like so um, her voice was like so enchanting to me <laughs> yeah. and as, and of course you know seeing her was enchanting right. and i just it was i had to go talk to her and it was one of those things that without the voice and the confidence boosting like i was talking about earlier i probably never would have gone up to her sure because i was never good at talking to the opposite sex it's just not something I'm, i was ever good at um <laughs> you know like if they came up and talked to me at a band gig or something that was a lot easier right cuz they were talking to me but i still didn't know what to say Right. So I was just never good at it. Yeah. And I never had the confidence to do it, but then after the voice, you know, you gain a lot of confidence I guess. Right. And uh, so I just went right up to her and introduced myself, said I loved her voice and I'd love to write with her and the next week we wrote a song together and uh been pretty much inseparable ever since.
0: That's fantastic. And and that's been how how long has that been?
1: that was february of 2014.
0: Okay. it has yeah. been uh, almost exactly 6 years now uh, while yeah. when we're recording this. So
1: It was actually february 26th of 2014, which is the ah, date we're going to release the EP. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be 6 years to the day.
0: That's fantastic. Now, the music I want I want to spend quite a bit of time talking about the the music because it is it is transcendent to me. I mean, I, oh, I, yeah, of course that first single you've got, let's get lost is so fantastic. And then I was telling you as we even started, um, recording this evening that I was listening to Winnebago and Winnebago. Is that also going to be on the EP as well?
1: It is. It almost okay, wasn't cool. going to be. Um, we had another song on there that I wrote with Austin Jenks who was on the voice with me. Um, it's a song that he and I wrote, back in 2014 called surrender that was going to be on there um and then the more so it's fully produced and it's ready to go we might release that as a single but when we listen to the ep as a whole it just the surrender song just kind of came out it felt like it came out of nowhere and it didn't really quite fit because it's it's a really it's very much a traveling record Mm -hmm. um because that's what we spend most of our time doing is just we're on the road a lot and um a lot of time to explore life and and different things, and uh, that's why Surrender just didn't feel like it fit, because all of a sudden here comes this heartbreak song. That's what it is. Um, It's it's a heartbreak song. Um, And it just didn't fit with all this, you know, the traveling we're talking about and everything that all the other songs are touching on, and whenever... I said, you know, I was like, Winnebago has to be on this because, uh, and really it was just, I was partly being lazy because I didn't want to, I don't know if lazy is a word, but we were so close to having it done that I didn't want to admit that I needed to record Winnebago Yeah. because, you know, I don't know how people, how non-musicians have it in their mind, um, how recording works, but these days... You know, you can do everything at home. So I do everything at home. I play everything. Um, you know, like right here, where I'm talking to you now. Like the right. mic I'm talking to you on is the mic I sing on. Yeah. And uh, so everything's done right here. And I guess every, you know, people might think that you book studio time and all that, which some people do, especially in Nashville, like people who are just singers and they don't, you know, not everybody can produce themselves. Right. But it's something I've been doing since I was a kid. Um, I was telling you about the tapes, and uh, yeah. and my parents got me a recording studio when I was twelve or thirteen, like a digital recording studio where I could multi-track. Yeah. Um, so that's where that journey started, the recording <laughs> thing, which is probably, I mean, probably it definitely is my favorite place to be is recording a song because that's when I'm so um, that's the most transcendent, I think that i can be as far as making music yeah i mean it happens on stage a lot too especially with a band like when the music's right and it feels good but when i'm working on a song i'm so i'm take i'm almost completely taken out of my physical body and i'm completely immersed in the song and you know i just kind of am the music yeah uh, it's a really interesting experience it's like um it's my form of meditation which i do try to meditate um I do try to meditate, you know, a couple times a week, but I find it hard to meditate. And I think the reason is, is because I already meditate in my own way, which is playing music. Yeah. Um, You know, I had a friend, I have a friend who played drums for us a couple times this last year, and he is really heavy into meditation. And he was saying, he's like, yeah, I meditate like three times a week. He's like, but the days that I don't meditate, I play sitar. And I'm like, you play sitar? And he's like, yeah, because um, he's like, that is kind of like a form of meditation. And I was telling him how, yeah, I have a difficult time meditating. Like, I don't do it as much as I should. And right. he's like, well, it's probably because you play guitar. And when you play, you are transcending. So, you know, that's your meditation. Yeah. And then that kind of made sense. I was like, oh, that's cool. So recording music is the most transcendent feeling that I ever have because um, it's like the whole world is gone and I'm just inside the song you know it's like my hands are working so that I can work the computer but other than that it's like you know I'm not even present really
0: Right. There's...
1: and uh, so I was trying to figure out how that was going to tie back into what I was saying about the record
0: no, it's, I get it though, because it's, it's, you can feel, and I feel, I, I heard this, um, uh, in, in, uh, um. By a therapist once where he talks about you know meditation can be the traditional form of meditation where you sit down and you focus on your breathing and what's around but meditation is also creating it's also working it's also it can be doing the dishes it can be sweeping it can be creating art it can be all these yeah. things it can be whatever allows you to be in a space where you're zeroing out the world and zoning mm-hmm. in on what you're doing and I think you being in this transcendent space really allowed this record to breathe and feel transcendent, because I feel that you're kind of at this point in your life now where you've taken everything you've learned and you've really taken the idea of wanting to create music for you and music that's pleasing for you and expounded upon that, you know, to the nth degree.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um That's that's what, funny what you're saying because i uh recently we um decided we wanted to like get some we got go to hobby lobby and get some paint stuff you know yeah. so that we could because i've never like i've since third grade art class probably doing like pastels that's the last i remember ever doing any kind of visual art because <laughs> i always just i was never good at it like i can't really draw that well like i have a brother david who can draw really well yeah um so I always guess I th- compared myself to him, and I'm like, well, he can draw, I can't. I play music, you know, that's oh, what right, I do. Sure. Um, so I've never even considered painting. But then lately, I've been listening to a lot of John Frusciante, um, not just his music, but a lot of his interviews and stuff. And he talked yep. about painting a lot, and so I just got right. kind of curious about it. And uh, so last week we went and got some, and we did a little bit of painting, and I was amazed at how transcendent that was
2: yeah
1: like the and you know it doesn't matter now I get that it doesn't matter if it's good or bad that's not how art works you know right um art is just being creative and yep. if it makes you happy that's what it's about that's why I like whenever people say like oh so-and-so the singer or the musician aren't they so bad you know I'm like well maybe to you but right who am I to say they're bad you know I yeah. can say what's good to me Right. But I can't say what's good to somebody else or what should be bad to somebody else. Like If you don't like it, you don't like it. That's fine. Right. You don't have to listen to it. And uh, so I kind of started to feel the same way about painting. I was like, okay, I don't have to be good at it. I just have to enjoy it. Right. Um. So I, you know, I did that and I was amazed at how, like I had, um, YouTube was just kind of playing through some songs in the background while I was doing it. And this Radiohead song came on, and I've never really listened to much Radiohead. And um, it was so, like, the music was so subconscious. It's like a subconscious type of music. And I was amazed at how it was influencing the paint that I was... The music I was listening to subconsciously was influencing what my hand was doing with the paint. And I actually ended up with something I really liked at the end of it. And it was That's amazing awesome. how it was something I wasn't in control of. And it, like the music was, and some I wasn't even really listening to it consciously. Yeah. It wasn't until after I was done that I went and I was like, Oh, let me go backspace a couple and see what that was right. because I wasn't even paying attention to it, you know? But then when I listened to it, I was like, it was so transcendent and yeah. it was affecting what I was doing. Um, but you know, I don't, painting is it's not something that I you know mostly I record which is is like painting right that's it's audible painting I guess and that's you know that's something that I'm much more proficient at
0: I like it walk me through what is on the EP as we're starting to to wrap up here what is one of the songs it's probably if not your absolute favorite one of your favorites from the the upcoming EP
1: my favorite, um, is, is really the most recent song that I wrote, at least the most recent one that's on the EP, I mean, um, cause I write every day, but the most recently written song on there is a song called Stay Breezy, which is, mm-hmm. I believe it's the second song. Um, and, uh, it's just a song about, I mean, I guess it's a little bit about, I like the idea that songs aren't really about anything, but they're about everything. Yeah. Um, so Stay Breezy. Oh, Amanda Sing is number 4 on the album. <laughs> um So yeah, it's just a little bit about how if you know, if somebody ever meant something to you at one point in your life, um just because you never speak to them or see them anymore doesn't mean they don't still mean just as much to you as they did when they were around. Sure. Um that's pretty much what the song's about. But again, it's, it's all, you know, I like for my lyrics to be more abstract and not so literal. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned some other things, uh, that just, it's really a freeing type of song. It's free your mind type of song. And those are, uh, that's what I write a lot too. A lot of what I write is about just freeing the mind and also being free. Um, because to me, what's most important you know, like when we talk about politics and Democrat, Republican and all this, it's like one of, one day we'll all be gone, and None of that will matter.
0: Yeah.
1: What will matter is were you free? You know, yeah. what, was I as free as I could be? That's right. what matters to me. Yeah. Because, like I said, Democrat, Republican, all that stuff will just fall by the wayside.
2: Yeah. absolutely. And it'll all
1: none of it will matter. Um, absolutely. You know, right. so I try not to get too wrapped up in all that. Like and uh, That's kind of, that's what I write most about is, and lately it's a lot about transcendence is what I write about. We've been talking about it a lot. Um, I like the idea and I'm going to, I'm going to end up quoting John Frusciante here a lot, <laughs> um, on this part, but, uh, he talks about living inside the music as energy and mm. not as, not as a product or as something that for people to buy, um, where you're when it's just right you're completely immersed in that world that's completely energy and light and color you know you're not you know the physical world doesn't really matter yeah um it's like the hands are doing what they need to do for you know the spirit to come through yeah and uh lately that's really where i've been writing unless like i said it's the stuff I'm doing the last couple of months even, uh, that, that we can't wait to release and have people hear, um, is all about that. It's all about, um, transcendence and existing as energy because that's what music is. You know, um, if you, if you take away, you know, the electricity and, and all that, it's, and it still somehow exists. it exists as energy. I mean, it's like I said, something that you can record ten tracks or whatever and have a song out of it, and that song somehow exists in the physical world, but it's not in the physical world. it's um it's a part of the spiritual world because yeah. it's not physically there, you know it's yeah. it's just really it's really strange, yeah, but cool at the same time.
0: <clears throat> well, I know that has been some fantastic advice and the whole kind of theme of this show has been uh, this specific uh, track or episode has been about transcendent and, uh, music as a transcendent experience. And that's fantastic. And as we're starting to leave, Cole, I want to know, is there one last piece of advice that you want to give the listeners or a mantra that you have for yourself beyond what you've already shared?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, you mean apart from music?
0: Yeah,
1: um, I would say just you know, cliche things like kindness and compassion, and uh, perspective. You know, think about how somebody else might feel, other than just how you feel. Right. Um, not you in particular, but no, hey. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> how one might feel. Right, right, right. Um, and that's you know, it's not always about yourself all the time. Sometimes it's about the bigger picture sometimes it's about you know doing what's best for um, humanity as a whole instead of just yourself as one person um, and that's something that's hard to you know that's hard to live up to and it's it's something that I try to keep on my mind but I don't always do it the best I can but if I had if I had something that I wanted to see happen in the world that would be it um, just compassion and try to understand somebody and where they might be coming from um, and realize that it doesn't have to do with you. It doesn't... It has completely to do with them. Um, if somebody, you know, upsets you or, um, you know, if somebody does something that gets to you, it's really... It has to do with them anyways. Right. Um, so... It would really just be that. I mean, try to think of how somebody else might feel and uh, know that that could just as easily be you. I mean, thats I've thought about that my whole life. It's really weird. Like, even as a kid, I would be like, I couldn't believe that I was born me. Like, knowing that I could have been born somebody else in some other part of the world was, like, really trippy to me um, when I was a kid. And it still is. I mean, I would think about that at, like, five years old. Just be like, well, I could have been somebody else. Right. Um, and I think that that is where my empathy comes from, I guess, or maybe that came from my empathy. I don't know. Okay. But that's the first thing that comes to mind.
0: I like it. Well, Cole, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, definitely just go to com. That would be the easiest way, um, especially for anybody who doesn't have different social media platforms. Um, and if you do, we're on all of them. So... Uh, we have the we have the lovers' music on uh, on Instagram and Facebook too, I believe. And then um, Amanda and I each have our own um, accounts. That you know the lovers' page. We try to make that strictly about the lovers, uh, what we're doing as that. Um, and then we have our personal pages too, where you know we may post different things um, apart from that. So we try to focus. The Lovers page just to focus on that one specific thing Perfect. as a whole. So we have those two, um, Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, I don't think we're on Twitter with the Lovers, but um, I don't know what yeah. happened to Twitter anyways. I mean, when, whenever we were on The Voice, Twitter was huge. and it's, I, it, yeah, it's like,
0: I, it died down for a bit, but it's coming. It's like kind of found its groove again I don't think it's trying to be top anymore but I think it's like comfortable yeah. comfortable with its spot in the world
1: I feel like it's become more of like a news outlet or like just a place for people yeah. to post headlines about That's things accurate. That's accurate. um when I was on it it was like that was another thing they made us do was have social media because I was so not a social media type person I'm still not like if you look yeah. at my stuff I don't post that much right because mm-hmm. I'm a musician and I feel like you know anything I have to say, the music should speak for itself. Sure. Um, so, and that's hard to say. Whenever people can be like, "Well, you don't have music out," you know, uh, really? but it's coming. That's no. the exciting thing. That's um, right. So yeah, I'm not great at social media, but whenever we started it, um, 2013, it was so popular. It seemed like like I could post something, especially when I was still on The Voice. I could post something, and then every like five seconds I could go back and the likes would go up, you know, and it would just be like 400 something people like this in 30 minutes. And now it's like, I can't get three likes. Right.
0: <laughs> I know what you mean. Right.
1: So I don't know if it's just my Twitter or something happened to I don't
0: know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Cole, I want to thank you again for being on the show. This has been a delight. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. And, Uh, You're listening to After the Encore, and here to play us out one more time is Cole Vosbury.
1: This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at RobertsMediaGroup.co.